Hey, Redeemer family. I'm Kari Faraday. I'm Laura Icardi. I'm Katie Martin. And this is Redeemer Church of Arlington's Rua Bible Study on the Psalms. We're coming to you from our homes during the COVID-19 lockdown to kick things off with Psalm 130. Hope you enjoy the discussion. So, Laura, where are you? I'm in my brother-in-law's apartment in Florida. Florida! Florida. Looking at a beautiful Florida. sunset what? out the window. Is it pink? Yes. It's actually like three shades of pink mm. and purple. It's a little distracting, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you've been down there, you found something cool in your father-in-law's library, didn't you? I did, yeah. My, my in-laws are believers, and they have a bunch of Bibles around the house. And so I, as I was preparing for this Rua, I decided to go shopping, and I found a Bible dictionary on the shelf. And I've never used one before, but I've heard that they're very helpful, and I decided to pull it out. And it was so helpful. Like it was, it was really eye-opening when I used it to look up uh, just a few of the words, like in the titles of the Psalms that we are studying. And um, yeah, it was really fun. This particular one is the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. And um, yeah, I was, I was so excited about it that I, I went immediately to my uh, favorite used book seller online and bought myself a copy. (laughs) So that's headed to my house now. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I've heard about those that if you have nothing else for studying the Bible, you should have a Bible dictionary. Yeah, yeah it was my but I'd never seen my that. first time. It was it was really good. So you know that that is now part of the collective Rua library. Yes, yes, it is also yours. And we, we all have access. <laughs> yeah, so Psalms, here we Yay. are. Are you guys ready to get started? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'm going to pray and then we'll we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you for virtual means to be together, even when we're not together. Thank you for your timeless word. Thank you for the Psalms that are giving scripts for prayer and for voicing emotion that are relevant to the time we're living in, in so many ways. So please open our spiritual eyes to see what you have for us here. Um, Holy Spirit, teach us, show us Jesus, show us ourselves. Um, and teach, just teach us what you want us to learn. Be with us as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Cool. Well, before we get into our specific psalm for this week, which is Psalm 130, um, have you guys done any background just on the psalms as a book that you could share with us? I did. I I have to say, I've never done a deep study of any Psalms. I've, I've more so turned to them in times of trouble. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. my background information on the Psalms in general was pretty lacking. So I decided I really needed to get into that before we studied. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all know that Psalms are mostly poetry. Um, but it was interesting that the, the English title for the Psalms is translated from a Greek word, which is translated from a Hebrew word, and they mean song or praises because most of the Psalms have that element to them, um, which I thought was really interesting. Even the ones that talk about um, our own sin or talk about danger are um, really Psalms of praises in the end. Um, But yeah, they're all poetry. And even though when we think of poetry, we might often think of 
kind of rhyme or meter or something like that. But in the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew poetry doesn't have that. So it's, its most distinctive feature is parallelism. And there are three different kinds of that. I could get into it, but it's getting a little nerdy. Please um, do. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my kind of nerdy. There are, well, there's three kinds of parallelism that you'll find in the Psalms. There is synonymous parallelism, where two segments or two lines kind of echo each other. There's antithetic parallelism, where the two sections will contrast each other. And then there's synthetic parallelism, where it, according to what I read, it syntactically completes each other. So in other words, one thought is left incomplete and the next thought or the next section completes that thought and that is considered a form of parallelism yeah but the problem is with the hebrew is that it's really hard to kind of find the beginning and end of some of these couplets um so we're we're just never really gonna get a full um feel of that poetry with our english bibles and even even if we learn hebrew it's hard to find the beginnings and ends of those sections so that's a little bit on kind of the style of the psalms um no, I was just going to give her a hard time and say that she's, she's requiring the tool of an English dictionary just to, to listen to her, <laughs> not only to study the Bible, but to study Laura. <laughs> Syntactic parallelism. Go ahead, um, I, I wanted to say, I happened to listen to a talk on the Psalms a couple weeks before we even decided to study them in Rua. And there were a couple of things from that that I found really helpful. Um, it was given by Ellen F. Davis, who's a professor of Bible and practical theology at Duke Divinity School. And it sounds like all the content here is taken out of a forthcoming book called Centripetal Force. She pointed out something really interesting, which is that the way God is named in the Psalms is always um, in this direct relationship between the psalmist and God. It's very very concrete and embodied. God is not like an abstract force in the Psalms. And it, and the basic assumption that underlies all of that is that God cares about the psalmist's experience of the world and listens to both the pleas and the praise that the psalmist offers up. Um, and then the other thing that she pointed out that I also thought was interesting was that lament is the most common form of prayer in the Bible as a whole. And I think that's also true of the Psalms. So those are my two nuggets. Two nuggets. That's really cool. I like that. Yeah. So would you guys say it's accurate to think of the Psalms as songs specifically of praise, but with subcategories? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I found. Cool. Yeah. Well, then without further ado, shall we slide into our psalm for this week? Psalm Absolutely. 30? Absolutely. Cool. All right. Katie, will you read it for us? Yes. Psalm 130, and I'm reading from the ESV. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
Mm, that's good. I don't mind disclosing publicly that this is my all-time favorite psalm, Psalm 130. Really? So, just very excited to be diving deep on it. But before we do, we always in Rua begin by giving ourselves a background on whatever text we are reading. Usually if we're studying an entire book, background, like who wrote the book, to whom they wrote it, and when they wrote it, would be done once at the beginning of the book. But since we're studying a psalm, this is a little different. You may notice as you read through the psalms that many of them under their title have an an author cited. It may not, but many of them do. And so that being the case, Um, Oh, and even some of them have circumstances Mm -hmm. cited. Um, So that being the case, we we need to treat each psalm as having its own background, and we have to do our background questions for each one. So as we come into Psalm 130, we are going to do the the background questions that we usually do at the beginning of a book, but we're going to do them at the beginning of the psalm. So we are talking about page four of the study guide, and we're just going to run through those questions to lay a background for this psalm. So, team, um, we've read the chapter, in this case, the psalm. So now let's talk about our first question. Who wrote this, this psalm? I don't think we know. <laughs> Boy, that was volunteering. That noise the, was volunteering. The snickering on the call here. <laughs> it's not straightforward, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the simple answer is we don't know. Um, that's what I wrote unknown that's my I wrote unknown and we can kind of I feel like we can get a little deeper on the question of like who wrote it and and why we don't know and what it might mean and all that with the later background questions yeah some of these do bleed together so shall we just press on then knowing that we'll have some overlap cool so our second question is to whom was it written how did you ladies answer that um I feel like it's just right there in the psalm at the end. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Yeah. Right. That's what I said to God's people. Yeah. Yeah. Though I guess we can specify it isn't written like specifically to um, Judah. So that's significant. It's Israel as a whole. Yeah. I noticed that too. Did, Did either of you happen to like quick search the rest of the psalms and find any references to Judah? I couldn't call any to mind. I don't think um, so. Do those exist do, in the other I didn't songs? do a search like that. And I guess that it would make sense because so many of the Psalms were written by David and the kingdom was united under him. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, as we get into when and where David is mentioned in the context, I'll, I'll bring that up at that time. But I noticed that too, that it was addressed to Israel and not to Judah, which does um, lead to uh, the possibility <laughs> we can't nail this down but that this was under the united kingdom right. period right. yeah um so did um i one, one thing that that i read when i was researching the when was that this psalm may have been adapted from a much uh, a psalm that had been written much earlier but it was adapted to fit into a set that are called these, these songs of ascent. Um, the, the things that, that I read said that these were probably 
songs that were written as one was making their way to Jerusalem for one of the appointed feasts. And these were Psalms, oh, oh, 120 to 134. So they're like a set. Um, And let's see, there are one, two, three, there were four of those who are specified to be David's authorship, Mm -hmm. one specified to be Solomon's, which, as Katie pointed out, puts us firmly in the United Kingdom, period. Um, but that doesn't mean David wrote this one. If it was adapted from an earlier psalm, he could have just kind of pulled it forward and made the collection right. during his time. Yeah. So, if, yeah, murky. If I could interject <laughs> there, some of my deep work on the psalms in general led me to this. Um, I didn't know this, that the the sort of the of David or of Solomon or of the whatever um, in the titles, the, the preposition there of in the Hebrew is really uncertain. And so we don't always mm. know that that means that David wrote it or Solomon wrote it or the sons of Korah or Asaph or whoever. Um, it may mean that that psalm or song was written in the style of that person or for a particular choir or guild or whoever of um, that, bo- that bore the name of that person. Um, so now, of course, we don't have an author for this one. Um, and generally, if we see of David or of Solomon, we're going to assume that that is the author, but, um, but we can't necessarily nail it down to that person's lifetime for sure, because it is used as sort of a more of like a, it can be used as a more stylistic in David's name kind of thing. Mm, Yeah. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Good. Well, you just made this even less certain you're welcome (laughs) yeah I mean because the with the when question the one of the things I read was that the psalms of ascent there's 15 right so it goes from psalm 120 to 134 um they're all called songs of ascent and if you are to read them in that order then psalm 120 begins with a prayer that brings this um, feeling right to the surface of experiencing being far from home. And as one of my study Bibles put it, beset by barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah. song, the Psalms of Ascent end in Psalm 134 with a call to praise in the sanctuary. Um, and so one idea for the timing and dating of these Songs of Ascent is that they were written uh, in response to exile. So this with Psalm 120 being the song Psalm that um, is really just crying out from God's people as they were being pulled from their homes and being sent to a place far from the promised land, far from the temple. And that Psalm 134 is being written uh, upon return from exile, maybe not written, but written later on about that time. And so the idea being that possibly our psalm, Psalm 130, was written post-exile in this period of time when they were kind of calling to mind that entire horrific period. So that's one idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, if we attribute authorship to David or Solomon, that's impossible. Problematic. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, these are all ideas we can't know, like you said. Yeah. Well, we've scratched at number question number four a little. Why was it written? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Also, 
Murphy, how, how would we attempt this one? Why was it written? I guess one, I, I said earlier, one idea is that this was for pilgrims to be singing as they headed to Jerusalem for an appointed feast. This set of songs, um, Laura, it seems you were saying a summation of the return from exile. Right. Also sung as a song of, of worship on, on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It would, it would still fall into that category of like a congregational hymn almost, or, or, or rather maybe sung by the Levites on the steps of the temple um, prior to a festival or a feast. And then the people of God may have responded with an amen or something like that. I just want to note that like, it would be really cool if it, if the Psalm were written for that experience of ascending the mountain to the temple, because Mm -hmm. in you start out in the depths crying to the Lord and you have this middle yeah. part where it's like you're waiting more than watchmen through the morning, which if you, if I can't remember whose study Bible talked about being beset by barbarians, but you can imagine being a traveler, traveling yeah. in a group of people, setting a watchman so that you're not robbed and murdered on your pilgrimage, that the feeling of relief as you make it into Jerusalem and this Psalm acting right. as like, the build up to that, the heightening of the anxiety and the tension until you make it to safety. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. So as we talk about these things, let's tackle question five. What type of writing is this? What did you guys Poetry. put here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I read it as a lament. So I put individual lament, hmm. which jives less with the conversation we're having here, but is not completely contradictory to the psalm's no, material. Not at all. So, and I, I honestly think that a psalm can be can be two things at once. You know what right. I mean? Like it can be yeah. many things at once. It can be a song. It can be poetry. It can be an individual lament, but it can also be used as congregational lament as well. I mean, the first few verses of our psalm are in the first person. It's I, um, I cry to you. I mm-hmm. wait for you. Um, but then towards the end, there's a call to all of Israel. So I think that there can be that um, both and here where it, it can be an individual lament that then carries over into a broader context of God's people together. Uh, there's definitely, yeah, there's also definitely an element of penitence in this song. Yes. yes, an element of penitence. And then I think also like a meditation on what it means to hope. And that's where the lesson is like extracted out and imported to all of Israel. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, well, I think this is a, I think, I think we did a good job on that. Yes. Good job to us (laughs) as we just do background work for a single chapter being a psalm. Um, let's move on to our in-text study questions, which are page five of the study guide now. And this is where we get into the text itself and go deeper. Um, but as we, as we come into this, as you guys are marshalling your notes, would you mind telling me quick how you um, arranged your study of this psalm? Did you do a simple dive like we talk about in Rua or a deep dive? Or did you split the difference? How did you tackle I would that? say I'm a little bit in the middle this time around. I 
looked across um, the five translations to look for places where the same phrases were translated differently. Um, and I did my deepest dive in the cross references. I think I made it through all of the ones listed in my study Bible. Um, and that's, I mean, and then I also did the paraphrasing, but that's where I stopped. Yeah. How about you, Laura? How'd you tackle this? Yeah, I, I would say I also did kind of a split the difference between simple and deep. Although my split the difference might have looked a little different than Katie's because I didn't necessarily look at the cross-reference for every verse, but I looked at every cross-reference for every verse that I thought might be confusing. Um, so if I read it and I thought, gosh, I can't see how this could be read any other way than how I'm reading it, <laughs> then I, I didn't necessarily dig into those cross-references. Um, so I, I kind of did a, a little bit of both, kind of simple and deep on paraphrase. Um, and I, I read across different translations for those stickier bits, I'd say. What about you, Kari? Yeah, I am pretty much one more version of what you guys just said. I split the difference. A lot of this seems straightforward. And so I allowed simple study there. And I chose to dive deeper on verses five and six. Mm -hmm. So those were, that's how I, I split yeah. my work. So I did read the Psalm over and over, but part of that is, um, I guess I can recommend this. If it's a passage of scripture you love and you've memorized it, just saying it to mm -hmm. yourself over and over is a kind of repetitive reading. And since this is my favorite and I have memorized it, I've been doing that this week. Um, and then my, my deep tools were cross-references as Katie brought mm -hmm. up translations of the Bible. Um, I think those were, those are what yeah. I used. So it was a, I feel like this is a good yeah, time for me to mention one of the, it's not a tool, but one of the newer things I've been bringing to the Psalms is that I've started um, reciting along with the, um, the liturgy, the Psalms in the morning. So sometimes the Psalm will come up in it and it's just influenced me to read the Psalms aloud more, which I find to be much mm. more powerful than reading them silently yeah I love that that is true cool thanks ladies so now our paraphrases this is a short text do you guys yes just want to eat three cars cool sure. yes I will Katie will you go first I am trapped in the depths God please hear my cry for help God have mercy on me God, if you kept track of every sin, no one could be in relationship with you or approach your throne, but you extend forgiveness and it calls forth in us the reverence you deserve. I'm waiting for God, waiting on the edge of my seat. My only hope is God's true words about himself. My whole being yearns for your deliverance, more than soldiers who wait for the rescue of mourning. My nation, hope in God, his word is true. He is full of steadfast love and abundant redemption. He will redeem our nation from all our sins. I love that. I love the way. Yes, I have a fun bit about that later. Yeah. <laughs> get, get hyped. I am now on the edge of my seat. Oh, we need to get there. Yeah, hurry up. <laughs> Laura, go for it. Okay, okay. 
Um, I did kind of a broad strokes paraphrase and a and a deeper one. So my broad strokes just is sinful people cry out to a merciful God for redemption, and He will come through. Period. So just to kind of model the the overarching broad strokes paraphrase. Um, my specific paraphrase is this. From my place of helpless lowliness, I call out to God to listen to me. Please have mercy. No one can survive God's wrath. Good thing he forgives sin. His power and mercy evoke awe. I count on him to do what he says he will do. Eagerly, I anticipate it as one desperate for help. Everyone, take heart. God is loving, forgiving, and generous. We can count on him to deliver us. Amen. And I'll read mine. I cry from a place of great trouble. God, listen closely to my cry for help and relief. If you kept track of people's sins, no one would remain uncondemned. But you are forgiving, and so we revere you. I am expectant toward the Lord. I place my hope in what he has said. My soul is as eager for his response as a night watchman waiting for his shift to end with the rising sun. Everyone do the same. God's love gives us certainty that he will save us out of our sin. That's good. I love it. So that's paraphrasing. We were restating what we read in our own words. Um, so now let's move on to Can I just really quickly add something about five. the paraphrasing, which is that yeah. I find that my paraphrase of the psalm changes over time. The way that I, um, the way yes. I interpreted it in my mind at the beginning is very different than the way I paraphrased it at the end. And the end reflected my increased understanding of the way the themes were working together. Katie, when you say the beginning, yes, the, the beginning end, and the end of my study. study. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are right. I'm glad yeah. you said that because I have the same experience. Me too. That's yeah. really good. And I think that's helpful. And that indicates you're doing something right. Not yes. that you've done something yes. wrong. Yes. That's what I was about to say. So then um, that was worth stopping for. But now question two, context. So our question is, how does this passage relate to the one prior? That is what's written in your study guide. Um, but we wanted to touch on this since we're, we're doing a psalm. They, the psalms are more standalone than other chapters in the Bible. So we, we may not have the same answer for talking about Psalm 129 and 130 as we might have talking about John 3 right. and 4. Um, so let's talk ladies about how we answer this question. I mean, I think we already answered it in the prior work and talking about how it's a song of a sense that's grouped with other songs of a sense. Yeah, that's, that's what I had here. That was the, that was the relation. Um, but in terms of understanding Psalm 130, I don't necessarily have to go back to Psalm 129. No. 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 Yeah. Great. There we go. Context. Now, just to say again, if we were studying a work that built chapter by chapter, we would have a very different approach to this, but we are not this time. So we can move on kind of quickly from that. So question three usually takes most of our discussion yeah. time when we're studying together. And the question is, is there anything that you did not understand and wanted to talk to the group about? Now, this can be, you just did not get it and could not get it after doing work and you bring it to the group and you want to talk about it. But it could also be you started with, I didn't get it. And then you did the work 
now you have a fuller understanding and you want to share it. So if I toss this out, um, like, like I said, I did most of my deep dive on verses five and six, and I'll add verse eight as well. Um, what, what, what did you gals have as your bullet points here? Yeah, I, I did five and six deep dive, but I also did a deeper dive on verse three, the um, idea that if God keeps a record of sins, had me asking the question, um, okay, is this saying that God does not record sin at all? You know, that kind of thing. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I dove into that a little bit more using sort of the full counsel of scripture to inform what that really is saying there. Yeah, I did most of my work on the word stand and what it means in this context, as well as um, that you may be feared, what feared. I looked at those cross references Mm. were like really enlightening to me. And then my only um, unresolved question is why the psalmist uh, uses the male preposition in verse eight, mm-hmm. he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Just because <laughs> yeah, I, I think, noticed that. Too. I, don't, I, know. There, I don't know if, is there anywhere else in the Bible where Israel's used with that masculine pronoun? I mean, when Israel Fair. was a he, was a man, well, yes. right? <laughs> like an individual. <laughs> but I couldn't think of anywhere else, no. But that's without right. looking exhaustively. But I can't think of it else. Yeah. So I could. Cool. Well, why don't we just start at the top and march to the bottom? Yeah, then. So, Laura, do you want to start with verse Or, Kari, did you have any that you wanted to add? Oh, well, oh, okay. um, five and six. Um, specifically, in those verses, um, I wanted to know what word specifically mm-hmm. was being hoped in mm-hmm. here. And um, I was really, I've always been fascinated by the imagery of the watchman. And I wondered if there was more for me to know than just what that poetic phrase brought to my own mind. Yeah. And then I went down in verse eight. I wanted to read more about this redemption because Laura, I too, if I think of the whole of the Bible, it does not support the idea that God just overlooks right. sin. And so when this, the iniquity, the uh, not marking the iniquity and the redemption, all those things. I, I just wanted to go deeper into the interplay. And so I dove into the word redemption. That's good. Cool. Um, so those are my cool. So yeah, verse, verse yeah, three. let's do it. Laura, you want to share your work? From yeah. Me? I, so verse three, uh, let me just read it. It says, if you, O Lord should mark iniquities, O Lord who could stand. And uh, what I, what I had in my notes is I said, the if in this verse seems to suggest that God does not keep a record of sins nor mark iniquities, um, but he must, he has to, to a certain degree, or else how could he declare us sinful and then subsequently redeem us and give us grace for that sin? Um, and so I, I did, I looked at a few cross references, but ultimately it was the immediate context for me that answered it because verse four says there is forgiveness. And so to me, that answers the question, God does mark sin. He sees it. He observes it um, because that's where the forgiveness comes in. Um, if he did not mark sin, there would be no forgiveness. Um, so, so the immediate context there was really helpful for me. Um, but some cross references, I came across another Psalm, Psalm 90 verse eight, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
And Job 10, 14, if I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. Um, so, so there's this idea that God is seeing our sin. Um, but the idea is that he's not just scribbling it all down in a record book and holding it against us because uh, he is quick mm-hmm. to forgive. So it was a pretty quick um, resolution to the confusion on that verse for me, but I just felt like I really needed to dig into that and be confident of how I was interpreting it. Yeah. Oh, and so another a commentary that I read also said uh, to consider sins in this verse is literally to watch over or guard them. The Hebrew word is shamar or shamar. Um, and so that idea of sort of, I imagine sort of like <laughs> Gollum, you know, in the Lord <laughs> of the Rings sort of hunched over his precious, like God is not hunched over our sin, guarding it jealously. Like it's mine and I won't let it go. Like that's, that's not the picture of God that, that, that the Bible paints for us. Um, the Bible paints a picture of, of God um, wiping the slate clean as far as the East is from the West, so far as our sin removed from his sight. Um, so that does, that does tell us that it was in his sight originally, but it was removed from his sight. Yes. For me, it also has the, the echoes of the financial metaphor for forgiveness where you have the record book right. of the sin and the debt and then the idea that God wipes it clean yeah 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 is it colossians that says christ canceled the record of debt that stood against yeah. us i believe that's Colossians. Yeah. <laughs> i will fact check yeah. that um yeah cool thanks yeah. laura so you you brought up cross references there you brought up immediate context reading what's before and mm-hmm. after those are some of the tools that Laura applied so if we move on then to um I think it was verses five and six I have a quick note we're next where we a quick note about we went standing yeah um I had well there wasn't a cross-reference for this but I wasn't content <laughs> so I just searched Uh, the word stand in the Bible and found a lot of stand before and the one that really stood out to me was I know was Ezra Ezra 9 15 oh lord the god of Israel you are just for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today behold we are before you in our guilt for none can stand before you because of this and To me, that just solidified what it meant to stand before God of this kind of like this idea, I think, of integrity of of not or even like a facial expression kept coming to mind for me of the way that when you are ashamed or aware of your guilt, you can't look someone in the eye, but you can stand up straight in front of them if you know that you are innocent or know that you went through something with integrity. Yeah, that's really good. I love that, Katie. Uh, Didn't Katie, didn't you also have a thing on fear in verse four as well? Yes, I did. Um, I loved the cross references for these. Um, The first is first Kings eight. Um, It's a rather long one, so I'm going to kind of condense it for you. Uh, Basically talking about 
if Israel sins and draws calamity upon themselves, then they return to the temple, cry out to God, starting to quote, then here in your heaven, your then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act dot, 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 that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Then the second is mm-hmm. Jeremiah 33. And it's the same type of setup of um, Judah is in distress. And then God promises deliverance and the reversal of fortunes, like that they will be cleansed, that the guilt will be gone, that they will be healed and um, abundance and prosperity and security will return to them. And then it says, they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. And I just loved the way that both of these cross-references showed that Israel's fear of God is prompted by God's restorative blessing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I also used a, um, an English dictionary to look at fear and the two definitions. The first one is to be afraid of or expect with alarm. And the second one is to have a reverential awe of. And I thought it was interesting because I, I think that this, I, this word fear is used on purpose in scripture because, um, the fear you know, it asks who could stand. And obviously the rhetorical answer is right. no one. Right. Um, and this, this fear, which is really awe, it's purposely contrasted with the fear, meaning afraid of that would exist if God was not a forgiving right. God, uh, there would be terror. There would be a rightful actual being afraid of the wrath that would be right to come upon our heads. And so, um, but because our God is a, is a good and forgiving and merciful God, the fear that would or- ordinarily be terror is now a fear that, that looks like awe and wonder um, and turns into worship, of course, as we see in, here in the Psalm. So I just thought that was really absolutely cool. yes. All right. So did, sorry for breezing over verse four. Have we scooped up everything that we, yes. we had for each other in that verse? Yeah. Then at this time, we can move on to verses five and six, which is where I did most of my work. That's where I had the most questions. Um, The verses say, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. So the first thing I noticed here was a clear case of repetition for emphasis. Mm -hmm. So in the way that we encourage you to look for repetition. This is a unlike what Laura was describing earlier with being from the Hebrew, not so clear, hard (laughs) to find. This is pretty clear. The same phrase repeated twice. So the way that this watchman is waiting, we are supposed to really get you're to wait for the Lord like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, that caught my attention and that was pretty clear just from reading. Um, I also used an, English dictionary here for the word wait. And what I found was to stay where one is or delay action until a particular time or until something else happens. Mm -hmm. So taking that and looking at this being waiting for the Lord started to fill in that idea of waiting for the Lord. Um, And then I dove into the cross references and every cross reference given, um, 
they were scattered throughout the Psalms and throughout Isaiah and all of them were God were yeah. waiting. Psalm 40 says, waiting patiently for the mm-hmm. Lord. Isaiah 8 says, we'll wait for the Lord. Isaiah 26 says, oh Lord, we wait for you. So it's always this God word yeah. waiting. So if you're delaying action for a particular something, in these all these cases, it is the, the something that you're waiting on is, is the Lord. So that continued to to fill out the feeling here. And and that's as far as I as I was able to get in my study, or that's kind of where I left it because I felt like I was getting a flavor that we yeah. were supposed to be Godward and yes. expectant. I actually have a um, fun yeah. bit here. So in that that same talk where I got some of the overall psalm knowledge, she had this really, really excellent um, interpretation or not interpretation, more translation of the word wait and more of what it means in the Hebrew. And I did my homework and made sure that the word was the same in this psalm or phrase, Psalm 130, as it was in the the psalm that she was translating. Um, So Hmm. she says a more accurate translation of the word wait here is I wait intense expectation. And she noted that the underlying noun uh, indicates a straight line, as in a line that's stretched taut between two points. And I loved the amount of tension and expectancy and just everything being involved that having that extra knowledge of the word brings to the psalm. It's not some sort of like la-di-da waiting. Um, It's this really, all my senses are engaged waiting. And I think we can also, like you were saying, Kari, I think we can get that from the watchman metaphor. It would be, Mm -hmm. it would be a really bad watchman who's just like, la-di-da, morning will come. I'm just gonna (laughs) tweet or whatever. (laughs) I'm gonna read my book. <laughs> but the waiting that the watchman does is a watchful, a watchful waiting, um, an anticipatory mm-hmm. waiting. It's an alert waiting. And we see that theme repeated throughout scripture all the time, especially in Jesus's parables about waiting for the bridegroom to come, etc. Yeah, it's I loved I loved this because I, I got the same flavor of it. Um, through my study, but also the idea, in addition to this alertness, this, this taut tension of your, all of your muscles are, are engaged and you are ready for danger to appear and to act because you are just on alert. But in addition, there's this um, almost like a, a, an inward groaning to the waiting of, I just, I long for the morning when my shift ends and I can rest and I can relax. I can let this responsibility go and pass it on to the other person yes. who's taking my shift. Yes. Um, and, and I, I found myself. Sorry. And that other person that? is God. My soul waits for the Lord. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and I found myself in some of the other Psalms, Psalm 121 and Psalm 127, where God is described as one who does not sleep and he is always keeping watch over his people as their protector and guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I read about was just that some of the early Sumerian myths and Egyptian legends of the time um, would blame their gods 
for the evilness of the world or the brokenness of the world or whatever was hard um, on their gods falling asleep. They would accuse their gods of having fallen asleep. And our God doesn't do that. Our God does not slumber or sleep. He watches over us and he keeps us at all times. Um, but a human watchman can't do that. He does have to slumber and he does have to sleep. And so while he is alert and he is on guard, he is also longing and he is um, he's he's groaning and he's weakening throughout the night and he is he is ready to be done with his shift by the time it ends and so that kind of taut alertness as well as that kind of groaning for the end groaning for the relief is i think how we're expected to see this waiting here in our song yeah and all that that's waiting for the morning and there is just a human assumption that the sun is going yes. to come yes. up. And as we've talked about, like the edge of the seat and the expectancy, I think we all used some word like that, mm-hmm. eagerness, like that kind of word in our paraphrases. That's how this watchman is yeah. waiting. There's a built-in assumption that the shift is going to end and the sun is going to come up and there's going to be relief. And as he waits, you know, he started in the depths. He's not in a comfy place here and he expresses this trust but I'm waiting for you, Lord, in the same way this watchman waits for the sun to come up with the same expectancy and surety and hope. Yeah. So I think in addition to talking about how the watchman waits, there was something that I wanted to dig into in my studies, which was just what he's waiting for. And I know you said it's a God word waiting, Kari. Um, And of course, that's, that's absolutely true. That's here. But in the context, the larger context of this being a psalm of ascent and assuming that this was a psalm, a song that was sung by God's people as they um, made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship, um, it, it brought to mind this idea of we are, we are waiting for the cleansing of our sins because we're, we're going to the temple for sacrifice or we're going to the temple for the priest to, um, to make offerings on our behalf. Um, and this idea of just, I'm ready to, to rest from this pilgrimage. I'm ready to rest from my strivings. Um, I, I don't know. I, as, the, as the Israelite worked and walked and journeyed hard to the temple in order to receive God's sort of official mercy, um, I think that we also can, can see that as, just a, a picture of God's grace to us that we, there is no striving. There is no pilgrimage. We are in receipt of his mercy and forgiveness once for all. Um, and yeah, so there's, we still wait. We still wait for a better day to come when Jesus returns and all is made new. And we wait for it with the same amount of longing and the same amount of yearning and inward groaning and also taut tension and alertness that the watchman waits and we wait with the same tiredness at times that the Israelite Mm -hmm. uh, had on that journey um, for our our final day Um, but one thing we don't have to wait for is forgiveness and I just thought that was a really um, I don't know that really hit me as I studied it I I had to share it with y'all I love that yeah. I also love yeah, the there's... way that you can, you can yeah. see Jesus in that word morning. And my mind immediately goes to the resurrection morning yeah. when Jesus from the tomb. And with that morning, yeah. our waiting 
for being united with God is over. Now we can always stand before him. Now we don't have to be afraid to approach the throne of grace. Like that's amazing that that morning has risen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that dovetails into something else that I dove into in these verses. Can I share with you guys about hoping in his word? Mm, Yeah, please do. From verse five. Um, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope Um, I wanted to know what that meant exactly. Um, Because you can hear that as a modern Christian. You think Bible, the Bible is God's word. But there was not a Bible as we knew it at this time. There was some of it, but not as we know it. And so I just wanted to go deeper into what this meant to the original hearers. And the the first place I started was with the cross references. Mm -hmm. So all of the cross-references for this were in Psalm 119, which um, this is the psalm that my kids know enough that when I say we're going to read a psalm, they always say, <laughs> well, not the long one, right, Mom? Psalm 119 is very long, and it is, it's is—it's been described as a love song to God's yeah. covenant. And all the cross-references were in Psalm mm-hmm. 119. So... Some of the selections, I'll just read a couple selections. Um, verses 41 and 42. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer to him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Another is verses 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. And there were some others. But I began to see words like promise and salvation, promise over and over, commandments came up, salvation came up. And like I said, promise over and over. So it just sounded like this was all, this word, word was very tied into, this language was very covenantal and it encompassed the law and the promises that it contained. so as I just kept digging, at this point, I did choose to go to a study commentary, and I went to the ESV uh-huh. Study Bible, and their note on Psalm, one, psalm 119, so that's not uh-huh. our psalm, but it was the psalm that I was directed to through my cross-references. It said that this psalm celebrates the gift of God's Torah, or covenant instruction, as the perfect guide for life. Thus, it belongs conceptually with Psalm 19 and overlaps with other wisdom psalms like 1 and 12. The psalm uses a number of terms for God's covenantal revelation. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt like I was hearing. This, this word is the covenantal revelation. And so when it comes to what is being hoped in here, it is that, and we'll get to it, the promise of you'll you'll be my people and mm-hmm. I will be your God. I have redeemed you and yeah. you are mine. Right. That language, that promise, that relationship. So that's yeah. where I came down on the word that was being hoped in was the promises that have been spoken Excellent. by God about that, mm-hmm. which blows this into a whole other <laughs> realm of like, what are we hoping in? That God, those promises, those things yeah. he has said. And I... Just with this, I feel like it's important to like note, maybe everyone else is familiar with this, but just recently I've been freshly reminded that, um, that God's promises 
for prosperity or discipline were given alongside of his rules for how how Israel was going to live out this covenant with him. And so that idea that the that the law and the promises are linked yes. is actually like really foundational to the Bible. And it's just a passage that I don't often read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. That is for so sure. true. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Any more on verses five and six, gals? Any work you did here? No. That's that's all of mine. No. So, if we want to like race for the end, I, I had brought up this idea of redemption mm-hmm. from verses seven and eight. Um, was there anything else in these verses that I um, am forgetting? that we wanted to look at versus seven and eight. No, I mean, we talked about being confused about the his, but I didn't, I didn't dig into yeah. that. So I don't have an answer. Yeah. I know. I did not you dig. Katie, did you dig? And oh. Is it? <laughs> a mystery. Okay. Cool. We'll leave, we'll <laughs> okay. Well then let's, let's get into redemption then. Yeah, let's do it. Shall we? Am I, am I the only one who did work here? I did just did you girls a little bit on the cross references to redemption, which spoiler alert are all about Jesus. Yeah. So we have Zachariah um, prophesying yeah. about Jesus in particular is the link. Kari, did you find that too? I did find that. Yeah. I, I actually was, um, just because I I felt like the idea of redemption might help me understand, um, verse three with the iniquity, like marking iniquity. And, uh, it did, it did some in the sense that like, uh, you described Laura, it's not like an overlooking of sin. Um, but when you bring in the layer of redemption, um, this well i'll just i'll just share my work so i i just searched the word redeem or redeemed i think is what i searched and just looked at how it's used throughout the esv bible just kind of Mm -hmm. a survey um and in the old testament there were some like legal applications Mm -hmm. of this word and like leviticus and numbers like you redeem a field right okay um but in the Old Testament, it's overwhelmingly God who yeah. redeems. It's always his people who are redeemed. And they are redeemed out of mm-hmm. trouble yes. and into belonging. So that's good. That's always how it goes. So that's the Old Testament. And then the New Testament, Katie, as you pointed out, Jesus is revealed as the Redeemer. Yeah. And it is still trouble yes. that he is redeeming his people out of. But it's the trouble of our sinfulness. Yeah. By his death, he rescued us and he purifies us of our sin and he makes a way for mm-hmm. full belonging. So it's still right. the Old right. Testament, mm-hmm. if you will. It's still the rescue out of the trouble and bringing into belonging. But we see such a deeper and more full picture of right. God's redemption here than the psalmist yeah. would have. The psalmist had an understanding. There's there's many um, times in the Old Testament early, early on where... Um, God, he describes himself as redeeming the house of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. 
And then that becomes just a way that people think of God as their redeemer yeah. from slavery. Um, so the psalmist would have had that cultural understanding of the application of this word that he'll redeem Israel. But he says here he'll redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So it's making a bridge to that understanding. Like we don't, we didn't just need to be redeemed out of like situational trouble, right. but out of our mm-hmm. sin too. And now we as New Testament believers is so clearly shown to us in Jesus. Um, and there was one um, other cross-reference that I wanted to read. I think it was from Titus. Yeah. So this is Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good Mm. works. Yes. So that's just beautiful, I think. The redemption from lawlessness, the trouble, the purification for himself, there's belonging for his own possession, who are now zealous for good works. That's really good, Kari. I love that. Great. Well, there we go. Question three. So I think we, we did. did. We and I think we've done a lot of our work for the other for the other questions as well. I do too. Yeah, we may have. So let's just like boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. So question four: Is it anything? Is there anything important to note? The passage is not saying. Yes. So, <laughs> Laura, you mentioned uh-huh. earlier one strong thing that is not being said. You want yeah, to see it for us Verse quick? three is not saying that God does not see sin or, or even that he doesn't count it against us. He does. It just means that he doesn't keep counting it against us. Um, right. I have two others. If I can share verse four, verse yeah. four is not saying that forgiveness leads us to being afraid yes. of God or that we should be good or that should we, we should be scared of God. Um, those are, it's, kind of two sides of the same coin. So those are my three different not sayings uh, for the entire thing. Nope, those are mine. Katie, did you have any others besides those? Yeah, same here. Um, so just to point it out, this question is just to safeguard us from falling into um, a lazy or a, a bad interpretation of what we're reading by just putting the brain onto the scent of not just taking something at face value that seems to contradict the rest of the Bible. If you're getting mm-hmm. that feeling, dig yeah. a little deeper, ask, wait, is, is this not saying what it seems to be saying? Because the Bible is not going to contradict yes, itself. Correct. All right. So now this is the best part. This is why we do mm-hmm. the work. Y'all. This is yeah. Question five. Learning about God. What has this passage taught us about God? I just want to say, recapping one that has become freshly aware to to me from our discussion, not even from my own study, is this idea of a God who fully forgives. Laura, I loved what you said about Mm -hmm. contrasting God with that Gollum picture. God isn't holding on. He's not hoarding up the record of our sins to hold against us. He's freely and completely forgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was okay. that was a big one for me as well. I also just in the very beginning of the psalm, we didn't dig deep on verse one, but just the idea that God God hears our cries. He's he is a listening mm-hmm. God. 
Yeah. I was pretty literal as I marched mm-hmm. through this and I, I just have bullets like verse three tells me God does not mark iniquity. Verse yeah. four tells me God is forgiving. And verse seven tells me he is steadfast in love. And I love and yeah, that, yeah. that phrase plentiful in redemption. It's not a scarce commodity in yes. God's mm-hmm. world. Yes. Yeah. Spoiler. Aww. That was my favorite verse. <laughs> All right. I'm we're sorry. getting there. We're getting there. Couldn't help it. Um, so just quick, what has this passage taught us about ourselves? Question six, has it taught or exposed anything about yourself? I think, uh, one of the answers I had for what does it teach me about God really informed this, um, verse two really taught me that God is not just a God of mercy, but that mercy is free because I, I dug a little deep on Mm -hmm. what does it mean to plead for mercy or in some of the other translations, I make a cry for mercy or hear my supplications for mercy. And, and all of those are from a place of helplessness. And so uh, what did I learn about myself from that is just that I receive mercy from God and I don't receive it from earning. Yes. Yes. That's mm. good. Amen. Uh, mine was that God is my only hope in distress. Um, mm. We don't really know exactly what these depths are, but it sounds like it's connected to some wrongdoing because why else would the psalmist ask for mercy? And so that builds upon what you were saying, Laura, but also reinforces it's not my, my redemption is not going to come from my own work, from my own action, that my, yeah. my action that I do is crying out to the Lord. And that's where the redemption comes. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. I also have that I I am a ruined woman without God's forgiveness. Uh, verses three and four. There, I, I couldn't stand. None of us could. Yes. But I, right. I'm, I'm a goner <laughs> without forgiveness. <laughs> Doomed. Yeah. I, I had, I mean, we're repeating a lot of the same Uh, things which is encouraging actually that we've studied and these are the things we're all walking away with in similarity is encouraging I had if if God kept a record of my sins I could not stand before him like you've both said and I also had redemption is available to God's people rescue unto belonging and purification from sin. I guess one thing that I would add that I didn't write down is one thing I've been experiencing this week which is the waiting my waiting on the Lord is not comfortable it is full of yeah. tension and unresolved just I don't want to say tension twice it's just full of unresolution mm-hmm. in the middleness yeah. of waiting yeah, you know I'm anchored on the one side to like yes Jesus has redeemed me and paid for my sin and then I'm stretching to the other side of like God is gonna come back and make all things right and I'm in the middle <laughs> and the things in my world are not yep. right yeah. and it is uncomfortable and it will continue Very to be uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. And we groan, we wait yes. for the morning. Yeah. Right. And, and our waiting, there's, there's nothing we can do in our waiting to make God do something mm-hmm. faster. You know what I mean? Like our pastor, Eric said on Sunday in the sermon, the Holy spirit does not have a <laughs> <personality> problem. <laughs> uh, we essentially have a waiting problem. Um, and if you don't have time to wait on the Lord, then you need to evaluate your life. Um, and I, I love that we, I am, I am called yeah. to wait on the Lord and to 
to submit. And it's waiting involves talking, talking to that big guy. Yeah, totally. It's not just like going to sleep Mm, and forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So we're, we're, and this all <laughs> yeah, does. like question six and question seven. What did I do? Begin to bleed together. Yeah. So we've read the passage. We have studied unto fuller understanding. So now we're getting into the, yeah. the act, the A of rule. What do I do now? Um, so question six, which is what I've learned about myself. And then question seven um, under the act heading, how should I respond to what I've learned about God and myself? Yes. Um, it's up next. Yeah. Yeah, I want to so, tack on my, yeah. it's a continuation of the, the first thought, which is that um, what the psalmist models for us in his waiting and his talking to the God in the waiting is that he's recounting to the Lord what he knows to be true about the Lord. Um, so it's first, mm-hmm. I'm yes. crying out to you for mercy. And then it's recounting this truth about God. If you march sin, no one can be before you, but with you is forgiveness. Uh, And I'm taking that as my Mm -hmm. takeaway. Like while I'm feeling this tension and I'm in the low places of my life or in my world, Uh my hope and my act of waiting in God is to recount to the Lord what I know to be true about him. Yeah. And re- related to Good that, the, the lowness, I, verse, verse one really was one that I really loved digging into, um, in terms of just out of the depths. And I, as I read it, I, I studied and, and it seems as though in this Psalm, as well as other places in scripture, the depth can mean a literal depth and a figurative depth. Um, the same word is used when Jonah is crying from the depth of the sea, um, out to God. And so I just, I got from that, that no matter how low I am or how low I feel or how wretched I am free to cry out to God and I should, and he'll hear me. So that's just uh, something that I took out of this that, um, you know, especially this week as the world feels so, so heavy. Um, and it feels hopeless if I'm honest. Um, and I imagine Jonah probably felt that when he was sinking to the depths of the sea, this is hopeless God. Um, I'm drowning. I'm going to die. This is it. Um, but he cried out and God did answer him. And this psalmist cries out in his depths and God answers him as well. And, and we can do the same. I can do the same. I can cry out to God, no matter how low and how wretched and how hopeless everything feels, I can and should cry out to God and I can trust him to reply and I can trust him to act on my behalf. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my response was, tacking on to the idea of God not marking our iniquities and redeeming. Um, and I wrote, knowing the fullness of God not marking my iniquities and of his plentiful redemption in Jesus, I should respond with the psalmist eagerness of waiting and hope and even more so. And that, yeah, I mean, if I just think of myself right now in this moment, I don't necessarily look to the Lord with the expectancy that we've talked about. I don't, I don't look, sometimes I don't even look to the Lord. (laughs) Like I'm looking somewhere else for some kind of rescue, but knowing all that I know in Christ, it should be to God that I look and it should be with expectation. Um, Yeah. And it's not always, but it should be. So that was my takeaway. Yeah, that's good. 
Laura told us her yeah. favorite passage. <laughs> mine is verses five and six. So uh, has mine Katie, mine was, was verse four. What was your favorite? With you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And just knowing what that feared meant. I love, I love the idea that God's generosity towards me provokes in me the right response to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I Amen. said my favorite was verse seven because of the plentiful thing. But as I dug into this multiple times over the last week and a half or two weeks, um, every single time I opened my Bible and started reading it, I started thinking of a song that exists out, out there. Our church sings it pretty frequently. It's, it's just called, I will wait for you. Um, but it begins with out of the depths, I cry to you in darkest places. I will call. Um, incline your ear to me anew and hear my cry for mercy, Lord. And I cannot tell you how many times throughout the study of this psalm, um, I just started singing it out loud. Um, and this, it really is a song of praise to God. It's a song of, of help, um, for a crying out for help. It's a song of penitence. It's a song of hope and trust in God. Um, and, uh, yeah, so as we, respond to God's word, um, one of the things that we hope will happen is that people will worship God and that they will cry out to him. Um, and that's one of the ways, that's one of the ways I did it this week was, was through this song. I sang it many times, um, and I commend it to all of you. Yes. Hey, Redeemer, Kari here with some closing notes. Thanks for listening today. I hope your view of God as forgiving, as awesome, and as our Redeemer is bigger than it was. If you're studying the Psalms with us in a group, you can now have a discussion that follows the study guide in the same way we did. If you want to join us again, use the same tools and questions to study Psalm 46. Our discussion on that Psalm will drop next week. If you're interested in any of the resources we mentioned today, you can email us at ruabiblestudy at gmail.com to get more details. I'd like to specifically recommend the song that Laura mentioned again called I Will Wait For You, which is based on Psalm 130 and which Jordan Coughlin helped to write. The other writers were Keith Getty, Matt Merker, and Stuart Townsend. You can find it on Spotify by searching I Will Wait For You with Psalm 130 in parentheses. Thanks again, Redeemer. We're excited to continue studying the Psalms with you. Bye for now.